Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Ephesians 4, and uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 26 down through 21. We'll read responsibly, as is our custom. I'll begin in 26, and then we'll read together in, beginning in verse 27, and then read in that pattern down through verse 21. Verse 26 says, Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Together, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give uh, to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the ears. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. We're going to look at this enemy of the home today. We're going to look at anger. Anger. I know that anger is a, is a poison, is an enemy that hurts many, many, many people uh, folks that grow up in an angry home uh, can be hurt as children and can alter their personality and who they are. And then is a sin that oftentimes is repeated as we grow up. We repeat that which we grew up under. And uh, we get frustrated with each other. And uh, then we can lose our temper and, and do and say things that cause great, uh, great hurt and uh, can bring great pain within a home. And uh, some of you... Uh, might have an angry outburst occasionally, but many folks live with a wrathful spirit. They're angry all the time, and they're just a volcano looking to explode. This is something that has to be addressed and dealt with. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Lord, thank you for a time we can gather. Thank you that the Bible is practical. And may we take the practicality of the Scriptures and uh, uh, apply them into our lives today. Lord, this idea of anger for someone who has an angry spirit, this is not a quick fix. This is a, a commitment, a long-term commitment. And so may some decisions be made today to set them on a course to overcome uh, this struggle. Be with the rest of our service. Lord, guide me as I preach, helping to say those things that will be helpful, helping to be concise with what I say. Lord, help the hearers to listen carefully. And Lord Spirit, Holy Spirit, you convict as I convey. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Throughout the Bible, when a man gives himself over to something, that thing that became so much a part of that man's life would become an adjective that God would use to describe that man. This is both done in a positive and a negative way. A prudent man, a righteous man, a wise man, a merciful man, a diligent man, a just man. These are folks who've given their lives over to prudence, righteousness, wisdom, mercy, diligence, and justice, and so much so that they become defined by those Christian character traits. But it also works in the negative. A foolish man, a froward man, a wicked man, a deceitful man, a mad man who cast out brands, a furious man who abounds in transgressions, a wrathful man who stirreth up strife. These are men who have given themselves wholeheartedly over to sin and are now defined by those sins in their life. 
The Bible describes anger in the heart of man as several different things. Proverbs 25:28 defines this person as a city broken down and without walls. I think of Jericho where the Israelites walked right up there to uh, the Jordan River and then crossed over and through Joshua's leadership, once a day they marched around the walls for six days. And then that seventh day they marched around seven times. And on the seventh day they shouted and what happened? The walls collapsed and immediately they were made vulnerable. Cities in the Old Testament were used to protect uh, from uh, from the enemy and there were no helicopters or airplanes for air, ra- air raids and so your, your wall was your defense. And when the wall was gone, the city could be burned. When the wall was gone, the city could be pillaged. And things could be taken. And uh, uh, folks could be hurt and killed. And that wall was the protection. And uh, Solomon said, an angry man, a man that does not have control over his own spirit, is just like that city that is broken down and without walls. You see, uh, uh, Satan can can ransack and, and pillage and steal his joy and hurt his heart and hurt those around him. An angry man in the Bible is described as a city without walls. But Proverbs 27.3 describes an angry man as, uh, or rather describes anger as an unbearable load. An unbearable load. And with Proverbs 27.3, you've got to take some of the words and look deeper into the Hebrew to see some of these things here. But an unbearable load. I want you to imagine that I take a 20-pound dumbbell and I hand it to a 10-year-old child. And that child's sitting there with his 20-pound dumbbell on his chest. And, and he can hold it, right? And, and he can walk around with it. But let's say we go on a walk and uh, we're walking two, three, four miles. How long is that child going to be able to hold that 20-pound dumbbell against his chest? And you see, when you are angry at a child, it's like handing that child a rock, a 20-pound rock, and making them emotionally walk around with that rock. You say, I'm not yelling at my kids. Yes, but you're yelling at your spouse. You're berating your spouse. They're living under an angry spirit in your home. They're seeing you blow up about work. They're seeing you blow up about family relationships. And if that's you, you probably do blow up at your children and they walk around on pins and needles. They walk around with this rock. They walk around carrying this load and they're concerned at all times uh, how you're going to respond. The Bible says it's like an unbearable load. Proverbs 27.4, the next verse, explains that uh, anger is like a flood. Imagine a flood that comes in and washes away homes and buildings. Um, I lived in at Hagerstown, Maryland, prior to moving up here, right outside of Hagerstown is a little, little town called Clear Spring. And we lived in Clear Spring. The reason why it's called that is because right behind my house was a Clear Spring that ran right through there, just a little trickle. And we had a mountain range um, across the street from us uh, behind those buildings. There was uh, some foothills of some mountains. And there was a ski resort up there and about 20 minutes from our house. And I went one time and fell down the mountain. And I said, I'm never doing that again. Uh, but um, uh, on those mountains one day, it had rained uh, just a deluge of rain for several days straight. And uh, the, the mountain became so saturated with water that the water began to collect and run down the water. 
a, a mountain like a river, and here we are in the valley, and it came pouring through. Uh, it hit the, 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 line, the row homes uh, on the other side and pushed them off their foundation. It flooded through those homes across the street and uh, right up to our home where we lived. And um, the firefighter, I was at church working, the firefighter knocked on our door and uh, had to carry Angela and Matthew and April out through the floodwaters and put them uh, there in the uh, fire truck. And uh, we had just moved into this home and we had most of our possessions there in the basement. Some brand new beds that we had bought were totally ruined. Uh, thankfully, it just went into the unfinished basement. It did not actually enter our first floor, but all of the homes next to us had to be vacated for months because that flood came through and it did great devastation. And how many people, their anger washes away a relationship and causes them a job opportunity and causes them a pay raise and, and, and causes them intimacy to marriage and, and causes them a deeper relationship with their children and causes them any relationship with grandchildren because anger is like a flood that washes away relationships. He, uh, Proverbs 27.4 also compares anger to a poisonous snake. A poisonous snake. Um, it's cruel. It's cruel. The word cruel in Proverbs 27.4 is the same word translated as venomous. Poisonous. And here you are, losing your temper, yelling and screaming and and you're injecting poison into the spirit of your home. Job 41.30 talks about Leviathan. And anger is similar to a fire-breathing dragon. You have fire raging from your nostrils and raging from your mouth. An angry man is a type of person who is knowingly or unknowingly addicted to anger. Addicted to anger. You say, well... I, I may lose it from time to time, but I'm not addicted. You sound like someone who's in denial. Addicted to anger. I've used this quote from time to time, but here's again Charles Spurgeon defines anger as temporary insanity. Temporary insanity. If I had a video of you flipping out at home, hands in the air, screaming and hollering, face turning red, I had a video of you and I would just mute the volume and let you watch yourself. You know what you'd see? You'd see a crazy person. That's what you'd see. Because when you lose your temper, you are a crazy person. Right? I could take you back here to the nursery where we have some children who don't get their way. Right? You know the toddler's creed? Right? Some adults live by the toddler's creed, don't they? Some of you don't know what the toddler's creed is. You can look that up later. All right? i got too much to say this morning to go there. But uh, you, you, you live by the toddler's creed, and these little kids over here, they don't get their way. They pitch a fit. They stick out their bottom lip. We call that the poochie lip disease, right? They cross their arms, and, and you know, the uh, poor nursery worker's got to deal with the brats back there. Some of those brats belong to you, right? Um, I say that teasing. Someone said this, they said, you can't get rid of a bad temper by losing it. You can't get rid of a bad temper by losing it. There are a couple of quotes I'd like for you to write down somewhere. Maybe you pull out your smartphone and take a picture of the screen if you'd like. But here they are. First quote is this, if you have a marriage problem and an anger problem, then you cannot correct the marriage problem until you correct the anger problem. If you have a marriage problem and an anger problem, you cannot correct the marriage problem until you correct 
the anger problem. Some of you in here think, well, if my wife would just change, I, wouldn't, I would stop being so angry. Only to find out that when your wife does change, you still have an anger problem. Well, if my husband would, would quit leaving his socks in the middle of the living room floor, I wouldn't have to let him have it all the time. Only to find out that if your husband did leave his socks, you would find something else to be angry about. If you have a marriage problem and an anger problem, you cannot correct the marriage problem until you correct the anger problem. Some time ago, my wife and I were at the post office, and uh, she was shipping one of the signs that she had sold, and it did not fit in a box, and so we had to tape two boxes together to get it in there. And um, She has me helping her, and uh, she's far better with the artistic stuff than I am, and uh, I'm not very good at taping anything together. I'm, I'm rough and, and gruff, and, and I, you know, I have my way of doing things, and she's got the more delicate hand for that kind of thing. And She stopped, and she just started laughing at me. And I said, why are you laughing? She said, because you're just not doing this right. And uh, I said, uh, okay. I said, well, let's do it your way, because, uh, you know, your way is usually the best way. And she said, I'm glad you finally figured that out. And um, we... Uh, we honestly had a kind exchange, and we got the box put together and got it shipped. And I said to her as we were walking to the post office, I said, if that exact exchange happened within the first two or three years of our marriage, we would have not spoken to each other for about a week. We would have fought so hard, and it would have been in public. And, uh, God has had to teach us that while um, my way... My, my microphone is angry at me this morning. All right. Next quote here. If you have a parenting problem and an anger problem, then you cannot correct the parenting problem until you correct the anger problem. Some of you think, well, I have to yell at my kids or they won't listen. Um, that's because you've conditioned them to only obey when you yell at them. Watch this now. I tell my son before I leave for work, I need you to take out the trash. And I come home and the trash has not been taken out. Right? Matthew, get in here right now! I told you to take out that trash and my, my veins sticking out on my neck and my face is getting red. You get to it! And now he's taking out the trash. And you say, well, see, anger works. No. Anger doesn't work. I'll get into that more in a moment. You know what a much better way to handle that is? Hey, Matthew, come here. I grab him by the shirt. I pull him real close. You see that trash? Take it out now. Got it? All right. He takes it out. I bring it back and I say, the next time you do it the first time I tell you. You see, what kids are looking for is where you're going to be serious. And if you're going to be serious when you get emotional, then they're going to wait for you to get emotional before they do what you say. If you have a, if you have a parenting problem and an anger problem, then you cannot correct the parenting problem until you correct the anger problem. But pastor, pastor... Anger works. When I yell, people start moving around. When I yell, people start doing what I say. There was a Major League Baseball team some years ago that lost nine games in a row. 
and uh, the team was, you know, at a losing, they had a, a, a losing record by quite a bit, and they were getting down near the end of the season, and several of the players had sort of checked out, and uh, they were just going through the motions and uh, had kind of lost interest a little bit, but there was one pitcher on that team who just, it just burned him deep to lose. And every time they lost, he got a little more aggravated by that. And so after the ninth loss, he called a players only meeting. He kicked the coaches out. He closed the doors and uh, he uh, started throwing uh, uh, coolers around and punching lockers and yelling and screaming and getting in people's faces and, and getting people motivated. And they went out that day and they won. And then they won the next game and they won the next game and they went on a four or five game winning streak. And everyone says, oh, we're, we're doing so great because that guy got angry. And, and you'll hear people say, get angry out there. And I tell you that anger is not a way to win. And you say, well, anger works. No, anger doesn't work. Being focused works. You see, what we need is intensity. What we don't need is indignation. I'm preaching with intensity this morning, but I guarantee you I am not angry at anybody. Uh, you can be intense without being indignant. What we need is high-spirited, not harsh. Not harsh. You can be excited. Uh, you can be uh, emphatic. Uh, well, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. We need, what we need is judicious, not judgmental. Judicious, not judgmental. What we need is emphatic, not enraged. Emphatic, but not enraged. What we need is watchful, but not wrathful. Watchful, not wrathful. What we need is determined, not destructive. Determined, not destructive. You see, uh, those attributes there on the left of the screen deter uh, de depend on you exhibiting some self-control over your attitude. The ones on the right are you with no emotional self-control. And you are relying on flying off the handle in order to get people to do what you want. I'm going to make a very strong quote here give a very strong quote here, one that some may disagree with, but I stand by it wholeheartedly. Here's the quote. Parents should make it a bigger goal to conquer their anger than to conquer their children's disobedience. Parents should make it a bigger goal to conquer their own anger than to conquer their children's disobedience. You see, if you'll learn to conquer your anger, then conquer your children's disobedience will become very, very, very simple. Very simple. I look at teenagers who are rebellious. People say, oh, man, your kids turn into teenagers. Oh, they turn into monsters. Why do teenagers rebel from mom and dad? Well, sometimes they rebel because they have a sinful heart. And they're just following that sinful heart into sin. But oftentimes... Teenagers rebel because they have a mom or dad who has an angry spirit about them. May I ask you a question? Your boss calls you in the office tomorrow and he balls you out hard over something you didn't do. I mean, he's got you backed against the wall, vein out, finger in your face, he's hammering you and he's calling you names, he's cussing you out. How would you want to respond? You'd want to yell back, wouldn't you? That's what your flesh wants to do. You see, when anger is poured on us, the natural response is to pour anger back out. Well, you're going to give me a piece of your mind, then I'm going to give you a piece of mine. 
there have been all kinds of uh, scientific studies done on this. And when someone is, uh, has anger poured on them, the natural desire is to give anger back. Give anger back. Do you know it's no different with your children? It's no different with your children. When you're angry at your child, they want to be angry back at you. But because you're bigger than them, and because you are the authority figure, they are not allowed to say anything back to you. Mom and dad, is the word bully too strong? Are you bullying your kids by being angry at them and not letting them vent that? Ephesians 6, 4 says, and ye fathers. And that word fathers there uh, comes from the root word meaning parents. Ye parents, ye fathers. Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, that word provoke and that word wrath come from the same root word. I could reread this way, and ye fathers, wrath not your children to wrath. Wrath not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture. Nurture them. The nurture and admonition of the Lord. Here's my theory. Here's my theory. You have a teenager that's rebellious. It could be mom and dad are emotionally in control and have done everything right, and that teenager just veers off because they have a sin nature. That's always a possibility. By the way, never assume the worst about people. Always assume the best. Amen? But in my experience, what I have seen is that you have a mom or dad or both who are angry at the child, angry at the child, angry at the child, the child is not allowed to express the anger, so the child suppresses the anger. That child gets to be 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and that anger, suppressed anger, begins to ooze out of their emotional pores in the form of rebellion. You've discredited yourself, mom and dad, because now that child does not want to listen to you because of your angry spirit. Satan is destroying homes through anger. Destroying homes through anger. I believe that greater, the, greater than indifference is anger. A greater enemy uh, than, uh, than an unforgiving spirit is anger. By the way, an unforgiving spirit is born out of anger. I, I believe that greater than even covetousness or lust is anger. Anger is destroying the fabrics of homes left and right. It's a demonic power. It is of the devil. It is poison to families. An angry spirit leads to unruly children. An angry spirit leads to rebellious teenagers. An angry spirit leads to splintered marriages. The large majority of families have at least one person in it that is poisoning the home with an angry spirit. What is the answer to an angry spirit? Well, the answer is the power of prayer, the power of humility, and accountability. God can deliver you from the bondage and pain of anger. We're going to look at three thoughts as we begin uh, this sermon, or rather continue this sermon, uh, the enemy of the home and that of anger. Let's jump in here. Number one, notice the cost of anger. If you're visiting today on the back of that bulletin is the fill-in-the-blank outline. I encourage you to take notes as we go here. The cost of anger. Anger kills relationships. That's the first thing I want you to note here about the cost of anger. It kills relationships. Anger brings death. 
Now, we know that it brings uh, actual death in some cases, but it brings uh, death to relationships and intimacy within relationships on a regular basis. Anger crushes children. Anger crushes children. There you are in that tirade. You're pouring out anger on your children. You're, you're laying them out. You're letting them have it. And that child just wants to curl up under a rock and, and disappear. I want you to imagine that uh, you and I are standing outside here in the parking lot and there is a storm that's just dumping buckets on us. I mean thunder and lightning. I mean pouring rain. Pouring rain. And I'm standing there and I'm just talking to you like this and I don't care that it's raining. I'm just having to, I'm trying to convey something to you very important. Can I tell you what you're probably going to be thinking? Do you not know it's raining? Pastor, I love you, but I'm going inside. You're just trying to get out of the rain, right? You don't care what I'm saying. And listen, I, a lot of times, especially men, um, I'm... I want the ability to be able to move around this morning. Um, otherwise, I'd just stay behind the pulpit. Oftentimes what happens is when you're angry, thank you, it's just like you're talking to someone in a storm. Men especially, when they get angry, uh, they'll say things that are true in a harsh way. They use a harsh tone. Okay? My wife will say to me sometimes, and, and this doesn't happen often, she'll say, stop yelling at me. And I'll look at her and i say, I haven't raised my voice above this. You know what she means? Your tone is hurting my feelings. Your tone is hurting my feelings. And, a, and an angry tone to them is the same as a loud voice. Some men, they say, some men may be tempted to go, You want me to yell? I'll show you yelling! When they say, don't yell at me, what they mean is your tone is sharp. Your tone is angry. Sucks out, it, it sucks out emotional intimacy in a relationship. Back to my storm illustration, although I've got the mic situated here. You may be saying everything that's true with your angry voice, but because your voice is angry, all they feel is that emotional storm they want to get out of. None of the points you're making matter at that time. Because of anger, Cain killed April. Uh, Cain, Cain killed Abel. Cain killed Abel. Because of anger, Joseph was thrown into the pit and sold into slavery. Uh, because of anger, three times Saul threw a javelin at a family member. Once at his son Jonathan, twice at his son-in-law David, and threw a uh, javelin at them, trying to pin them uh, to the wall. And King Saul would have the priest murdered out of anger. King Herod would have all babies uh, to and under murdered out of anger. Your anger may or may not bring you to a place of physical murder. But listen to me this morning. I promise you that if you don't deal with it, it will kill your relationships and damage your children. The cost of anger. Number two, notice the captivity of anger. The captivity of anger. Go back with me to Ephesians 4 and look at verse number 26. The Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down Upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may 
have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Look at verse 31. Look at verse 31. Pay attention here. Let all, notice that word all, let all bitterness, that word all is implied in front of every other word in this verse. Let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger and all clamor and all evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This is what I believe to be the downward slide into anger bondage. Let's look at the digression laid out in the passage. Notice letter A. Notice the word stirring. Stirring. Look back at verse 26 with me. Notice those first three words. Can we read them together as a church? Ready? Here we go. Be ye angry. Be ye angry. Does this verse tell us that we have permission to be angry? No, it does not. No, it does not. You say, but pastor, it says, be ye angry. Now watch this. We never ever explain, we never ever explain the obvious by the obscure. Watch this. We explain, we explain the obscure by the obvious. All right? You can find a verse or two in Scripture that would say one thing when you've got a mountain of verses that say the opposite. We're not going to build a doctrine off of two verses when we've got 30 verses that say the opposite. We're going to seek to understand these two verses. Now, if you believe that verse 26 is giving you permission to be angry, then you have to concede that there is a contradiction in Scripture. Again, verse 31 says, Let all anger be put away from you. While verse 26 would say, if you believe it to say that, Be ye angry. So is 26 telling us to be angry while 31 is telling us to put it away? No. What does that mean, be ye angry? I've explained this in here before, and some of you have heard me explain this before, but we have lots of new people, and uh, some of you forgot. Amen? Because you don't even remember what I preached last week. And so uh, you need to hear it again. All right, I did some digging into the, uh, into the language of this, into the grammar of this, and in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, the verb tense, be angry, the verb tense here is uh, present passive imperative. Present passive imperative. How many of you say, I have no idea what that means? Be honest. I have no idea what... we got a bunch of grammar uh, people in here. How many of you do know what that means? Present passive imperative? How many of you don't understand the question? <laughs> okay. Some of you just sit there like, uh, is he asking? Oh, my brain hurts right now. Present passive imperative. Here's what that means. That means the action is being done... To the ye, not by the ye. What is it saying here, be ye angry? What it's saying is that when someone does something angry your direction, sin not. Now, let me give you a parallel example to help you understand. We live in a day of great immodesty. Great immodesty. Uh, there are two words that the marketing industry understands well. Those two words are this. Sex sells. They know it. You know who has spent the most money on figuring that out? The marketing industry has. They know how to use sexuality to sell things a whole lot better than anybody else. They understand how uh, physiologically men work, and they know that uh, if you're going to wiggle money out of people's pockets, use sexuality to do it. We live in a day of great immodesty. 
If I walk into Walmart and there is a woman who is not dressed very well standing in front of me and I notice that she's attractive and I notice she's not wearing much, is it a sin for me to notice? No. Is it a sin for me to continue to stare? Yes. Is it a sin for me to look away and look back? Yes. Is it a sin for me to look away and then dwell on the mental image of what she looked at? Yes. Seeing, noticing is not a sin. Dwelling is a sin. Now watch this. The same thing applies with anger. When, some, when something happens that stirs your spirit, it is not a sin to feel the stirring. It is a sin to dwell on the stirring. If I'm working in my bathroom and I come up fast and I hit my head on a counter and rage runs through my body, Am I the only one that gets really, really, like, rage monster when they hit their head? Am I the only one? Okay. Several of you in here that way? All right. I hit my head, and rage runs through my body. It is not a sin for me to feel the rage. It is a sin for me to act on the rage. The Bible says that we're to take captivity, every thought, to the obedience of Christ. And so when somebody comes at you, and they're yelling at you, and they're mean to you, and you feel that stirring, this feeling of the frustration, the stirring is not a sin, the acting on it is. Anytime I preach on this, I have two questions I feel like I have to answer. And the first one is Ephesians 4.26. The second uh, I get back is, well, didn't Jesus get angry? Didn't Jesus get angry? And the answer is... Well, he did get angry. And some people say, well, didn't he get angry when he turned over the tables in the, in the temple with the money changers? And the answer to that is, I don't know. The Bible does not say that Jesus got angry in the temple. You can go back and read the story for yourself. He did it twice. He did it at the beginning of his ministry. He did it at the end of his ministry. Both times he took the time to put a cord together. It seemed to me to be premeditated. I don't believe Jesus was angry when he did it. I believe it was something he chose to do very carefully. Uh, I believe it was something he was doing uh, out of authority from God. The Bible only tells us one time that Jesus was angry, and that's found in Mark chapter 3 and verse 5. And in that passage, he's getting ready to heal on the Sabbath, day and the Pharisees are looking down on him in their heart and the Bible says that Jesus was angry over that but Jesus did nothing with that anger. Someone says well then if Jesus got angry doesn't that give me permission to be angry and the answer is no it does not. Jesus is allowed to do things that we're not allowed to do. Jesus is God and God is the giver and taker of life. You know if I drop dead of a heart attack right here right now God is the one that uh, brought me to that point. You say, well, you made health choices that probably contributed, or there's genetics and, and all these things. Yes, but ultimately God signs the death a certificate of someone before they die. He signs off on it. He allows it. And so if I drop dead of a heart attack, God took my life. Uh, but guess what? I'm not allowed to take your life. There are things God's allowed to do I'm not allowed to do. To further make my point, the word there, in Mark 3, 5, for angry, the root word there is the word O-R-G-Y, or orgy, and it is used 36 times in the New Testament in relation to a person. It is used 
every time to describe God getting angry. It is never used to describe a person getting angry. The three other times we find that word in the New Testament uh, not referring to God or Jesus, it is in reference uh, to us, and they're all commands for us not to do it. uh, Ephesians 4.31, we looked at that, let all anger, that's that same root word as Mark 3.5, let all anger be put away from you. Um, Colossians 3.8, put off all these, there's a long list of things, on that list is orgy, uh, anger, and so on, uh, same Greek word. James chapter 1 verse 20, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, same root Word. Uh, three times that word is found uh, uh, outside of the God person, and each time it is a direct command for us not to do it. An angry spirit uh, is uh, something that plagues many people, and it is a stirring that is not controlled. It is a stirring that's not turned over. Uh, the four steps into anger bondage. The first one is stirring. That one's not a sin, but notice letter B, sinning. Sinning. Look at Ephesians 4 and look at verse number 26. Be ye angry. Notice those next three words. And sin not. What does that mean? That means when you are put in an angry situation, when someone does something to you that stirs you, don't sin. Don't sin. Turn that over to the Lord. Turn that over to the Lord. Ask Him for help. The moment those feelings of frustration are acted on by the flesh and not subdued by the Spirit of God, that becomes a sin. Uh, Your wife is getting on you, men, your wife is getting on you for something that you didn't do. Your wife is getting on you because she's been asking you, uh, pay attention up here, she's been asking you for months to fix that gutter dangling off the house. And you just have been busy and you haven't gotten around to it. You've been sick. You've had all these issues. And here she comes again. Yeah, 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 right? Uh, get that gutter fixed. And, and, and you blow up on her. Don't you know how busy I am? Don't you know how much this bothers me? That stirring has now turned into sinning. You've been trying to get your husband to put the toilet paper roll on there the right way for 35 years, and he's just not going to do it. By the way, roll that thing off the top. Can I get a witness? Amen. Roll that thing off the top, not off the bottom. Amen. We don't need that touching the wall. Amen. My wife and I are in agreement on that, all right? I trained her well. Amen. Um, Trust me, she's got me trained. Uh, way more than I've got her trained. She's, I'm, uh, she's got me, I'm whipped, amen? Um, we have a great marriage. You guys listen, we, we have a great marriage. I do everything she tells me to do. We have a great marriage. Um, that thing your wife's been doing for years that you just can't seem to get her to change. And it's not sin, it's just a quirk, it's just a preference. But you harp on it, and you harp on it, and you harp on it, and you harp on it. Listen, that stirring is being turned into sinning. Notice the downward slide into anger bondage. Stirring, sinning. Letter C, notice settling. Settling. Look back at, with me at Ephesians 4, and look at verse 26. We see the stirring in the first three words, be ye angry. We see the sinning in the next three words, and sin not. We see the settling. Look here. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. This is going to sleep with a 
problem, an anger explosion that's not been properly confessed and dealt with. This is going to sleep with a problem between you and a child, you and a spouse, you and a friend, and you haven't bathed this thing in prayer. You haven't confessed your part in the wrongdoing. You haven't made it right. Listen, you ought to go to sleep. If you're married in here, you ought to go to sleep each night with a hug and a kiss, not with your backs turned to each other, angry at one another, or with one of you sleeping on the couch or in a guest bedroom. You need to resolve these things. Don't you ever, parents, let your kids go to bed after you've had an angry explosion on them. The 1950s dad would uh, berate the child for having done wrong and send them to bed with no dinner and, and then just yell at them on the way up the stairs and not go in and deal with it. That model doesn't work. That model breeds rebellion. You need to deal with that. You need to sit and settle that. By the way, the best thing you can do is apologize for your wrongdoing in the matter. We see sinning, or we see stirring, we see settling. Uh, stirring, sinning, settling. Let me give you letter D. Notice, signing over. Signing over. Look at verse 26 and 27 with me. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Let's read 27 together. Can we do that? Here we go. Neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. Let me be very clear here. I do not believe a Christian can be demon-possessed. Are you listening this morning? I do believe a Christian can be demonically oppressed. And here you are with an angry spirit. And your mom and dad, or your husband or wife, uh, or uh, your children, they know that you are like a volcano. You may not explode all the time, but below the surface, there's this oozing anger that's constantly simmering below the surface. And at any moment, you could explode and go off. You've signed over your spirit to Satan. You gave him a toehold when that settling or that, that stirring turned to sitting. You gave him a foothold when that uh, settling uh, uh, turned. Uh, uh, with that stirring turned to sitting, that sitting turned to settling. And now you've given him a stronghold because you won't let things go. And you're constantly uh, on the brink of, a, of an explosion. You, you live with a heart of frustration. Hear what I'm about to say. An angry spirit is a satanic spirit. It is a spirit of oppression that settles into many hearts and ruins many a person. And many a home. This is someone who is seemingly angry all the time. There's a story about a man who once desired victory over his angry spirit, so he gave his wife and children permission to just simply place their hand gently on his shoulder each time they felt his angry spirit. A few minutes later, his daughter placed her hand, eight, nine year old daughter placed her hand on her father's shoulder. He turned and looked at her and said, Do I seem angry to you? The little girl sheepishly nodded her head. Two weeks in, his family had touched his shoulder dozens of times. It then dawned on him how, the addiction, how much the addiction to anger he really had. See, many people who are addicted are in denial. Many people who are addicted to anger are in denial. We see the cost. We see the captivity. Number three, notice the cure. The cure for anger. 
An angry spirit comes from one of just a few sources. The most likely culprit is your own pride. Your own pride. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Sometimes our pride and anger is manifested through an impatient spirit. So I, I, I just get things done, and, I, and I'm always on the move, and, 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 and I'm on the go, and, and I can't wait, and, and I tell somebody to do something, they need to do it right now, and, 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 and I want things my way. You're filled with pride. Because you think that things should fit in order with what you want. All right, my number one frustration living in Connecticut is the traffic light system in this state. I hate the traffic light. My poor wife and kids are so sick of me complaining about the traffic light system in the state of Connecticut. I feel like it's antiquated from the 1950s. Now that I've told you, I've ruined all of you because you're all going to notice it now, okay? Um, uh, uh, There's a, a traffic light on my way to drop my kids off to school. There's a little side road that runs through. And uh, there will be no one there, and it will turn red and make me stop. And then it will turn green as there's a car pulling up. And um, I have to stop at that almost every time. And um, my kids told me one day, they said, Dad, you know, the light's always green for Mom and always red for you. (laughs) And so my children gave her a nickname. They call her the Green Queen. (laughs) The Green Queen. And I've sat at that light and I have fumed and fussed about that thing so many times. And you know why I get bothered by it is because I want to get to the school parking lot and I'm 200 feet from it. Brother Carson's going to be an assistant. You know what light I'm talking about? Have you ever thought the same thing? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Amen. Let's talk about it later. Um, (laughs) I want my way because I am proud. What happens if we're not careful is our pride gets in the way. And people aren't moving and doing what we want when we want. And that pride kicks in. And we get angry. You say, well, I'm just a, I'm just a go-getter. I get things done. And I don't have patience for that. Well, you're telling on yourself there's a pride problem. Pride is uh, plaguing you. Sometimes this is manifested through discontentment. Discontentment. Now, I want you to look a certain way. I want you to act a certain way. I want you to be a certain way. And I'm going to control you until you act that way. And one of the best things I learned as a young man in ministry is don't try to control people. Rather, try to influence people. You know, influence gets you a lot further than control, but influence takes a lot longer than control. Some of you here are trying to control your wife or control your husband and control your kids. Listen, you need to be in control of your kids, but when it comes to your spouse... What you need to do is love on them and pray for them that God will change them. Discontent over where we live. Discontent over the car we drive. Discontent over the type of clothes we wear. Discontent over uh, the technology that we have or don't have. And, And what happens is this discontentment turns into pride and that pride brings contention through the form of anger. Some, uh, some other culprits for an angry spirit, we looked at pride. Quickly notice, uh, bad friends, bad, fr- bad friends. Proverbs twenty two twenty four says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and 
with a furious man thou shalt not go. Why do some people get angry? Because they're hanging out with angry people. One more here. Uh, Guilt over unconfessed sin. On Sunday nights, we've been going through the life of David, and we've been looking at David in relationship with Saul. And Saul was nasty with David. Saul had an anger problem toward David. Why? Because David had done nothing wrong, but Saul had done wrong. He was ridden with guilt, and that guilt brought him to anger. Whether it's pride or bad friends or guilt over what you've done in your past, the cure is all the same. The cure is all the same. I want to offer you a one-word answer, and then I want to give you an acronym there for your notes. The one-word answer is humility. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. One of the things that I have worked very hard to do in my home is that when I blow it, I go sit on the bed next to one of my children and I look at them and say, Dad was wrong. And I look them in the eye and say, Can you please forgive me? Men, if you have a hard time doing that, you need to circle back around what I said about pride and find humility. You know what? You want to get rid of that anger that you've poured out on your kids? Get real contrite and real humble and apologize. Own it when you do wrong. Look at your wife and don't give a token apology. Give a heartfelt apology. I was... Some men are sitting there saying, Pastor, I just can't do it. I was wrong. And leave off the word but behind it. I was wrong, but... I was wrong, but if you... I was wrong. I am sorry. And don't guilt trip them and don't expect them to say it back. You say it and drop it. And let God work on their heart. By the way, that works for you wives with your husbands. Humility. Humility goes a long ways. I don't know that this quote ties in directly with the message, but I liked it so much I stuck it in here anyway. All right, Here it is. Write this down. Faith gets the most. Love works the most, but humility keeps the most. Faith gets the most. Love works the most, but humility keeps the most. Humility keeps the most. You want to keep relationships? Be humble. You want to maintain good relationships? Be humble. Learn to walk in humility. It's not enough to remove anger from our life. We must also replace it. We must replace it with kindness. We must replace it with patience. And we must replace it with temperance. These are all fruits of the Spirit. Quickly here, quickly here. I'm not going to linger on any of these very long. Let me give you the acronym ANGRY. A, admit the problem. Admit the problem. Some of you in here are in denial. And the very best thing you can do is admit you have an anger problem. Right? You say, how do I do that? Go to three people in your life who are godly, who know you well, and look them in the eye and ask them, do you think I have an anger problem? And let them be honest with you. Don't get angry if they say yes. Amen. (laughs) Admit the problem. Letter N. Never quit till you truly have victory. Never quit till you truly have victory. I started addressing an angry spirit within me uh, 15 years ago. And I've never been in a better place than I am now. But can I tell you, it is an ongoing thing God continues to work with me on. 
Never quit till you truly have the victory. G, give your spouse and your children corrective privilege. Give your spouse and your children corrective privilege. Now, they don't need to say to you, uh, you getting angry, Dad? By the way, when I have had an angry spirit, can I tell you what uh, the wrong thing to do as a family member? You have an angry spirit. <laughs> you want to make their spirit worse? Yeah, throw that in their face, right? I'm pulling up Pastor Lejeune's sermon from a month ago right now. You're going to listen to that again. Wave the outline in their face, right? I took notes just for you. And not a good move. Not a good move. Be gracious, right? Maybe let your husband and kids or your wife and kids just walk up and put a hand on your shoulder. Gently touch you. Let you know, hey, you're getting stirred up. Hey, I love you. Let's not do that. R, R, repent without reserve. Repent without reserve. You need to understand that anger is a sin. Anger is always a sin. Anger was not an emotion felt by Adam and Eve prior to the fall. It came about as a result of the fall. Anger is, you say, righteous indignation. That phrase is not in the Bible. You can't find it anywhere in the Bible. The concept's not in the Bible. I hate sin. You can hate sin without being angry. You can hate sin without being angry. Repent without reserve. You know what that means? That means you can't really defeat this unless you're a child of God. Come to Christ. Give Him your heart. Become a child of God. Uh, Ask Him to forgive you of your sin, to give you deliverance from the curse of sin, and to help you begin to walk a new life in Him. Repent without reserve. Letter Y. Lastly, yield to the power of the Holy Spirit consciously three times a day. Yield to the power of the Holy Spirit consciously three times a day. What if you have an angry spirit and you make it a habit every morning when you wake up, every day at lunch, and every uh, evening around dinner time that you bowed your head and said, Holy Spirit of God, you are in charge. You call the shots. You see, God wants to give you the victory. But He begins by admitting there's a problem. It it continues by you working on it until God gives you the victory. Listen, let me end with this. We're done. Let me just end with this. This is not something that you bend a knee one time and tell God, I've got an anger problem, I'm sorry, forgive me, and walk out of here in defeat. This is a journey. But it's a journey worth taking. It's a journey that will bring relationships that are true and rich and enjoyable. Let's not let our good be evil spoken of. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. You've been an easy, easy audience to preach to this morning. The invitation this morning is for two groups of people. The first group are those that are struggling with anger. You know, humility would require you to come and bend a knee at an altar and tell God, I've got an issue, I need your help. If you're too proud to even bend a knee at an altar, then you're too proud to defeat your anger. There's a second group of people that I want to invite forward this morning, and that's those who are living with someone or dealing with someone who is angry. Why don't you come and bend a knee and ask God to give them the victory? Why don't you come bend a knee and ask God to help them? 